in our Bible passage today, which is from John 13. It is the last night of Jesus' life. He's spending it, eat a supper together with his disciples. The Passover meal is going to become the famous Lord's Supper at this very dinner. His 12 disciples know he's going to leave them. He's told them that, but they don't know when. They don't realize it's going to be in the next 24 hours. And that tomorrow, at this time, his body will be lying stone cold in a tomb. Nor do they know where he's going to go. After supper, Jesus takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist like a slave in order to wash their feet. And we read in the first verse of John 13, a passage we've looked at before, but are looking at from a slightly different angle today. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Having loved the world, those who were in his own. Jesus had loved these disciples a thousand ways over the last few years. He had invited them, come to me, I will give you rest for your souls. He had invited the 12 in that room into his inner circle of close friendships. He had included in that circle Matthew, the tax collector, the one profession that everybody in the entire country absolutely despised and said, I will be your friend and rub shoulders with you. He had taught these poor disciples that God was not only their king, he was their father, something they really had not grasped before. He told them, you may see sparrows fall from the tree. Not one falls without your father's will and knowledge. I'm telling you, you are worth far more than many sparrows. One day, his family sought him as he was teaching his disciples. Jesus instead pointed to his disciples and he said, here are my father and my mother, my sister and my brothers. He told these disciples the secrets of the kingdom of God are not given to others out there. But I will give you them right now here to you. On a boat in the Sea of Galilee, when a storm came up and they were all very near drowning, he turned a great storm into a great calm immediately all on their behalf. They knew this. They sensed that. He went to the house of Peter and he healed his mother-in-law from a fever, which in those days was often fatal. And then he not only did miracles that they saw, he did miracles through them, gave them powers they never had. He sent them out with authority to heal diseases at a word. Think of that. He sent them out with authority to give relief to psychotic and demonized persons. He gave them authority to heal people who were incurable. It was through the 12 disciples, through the baskets that they were holding as they wandered around the crowd of 5,000, that he gave the ability for these baskets to yield food for 5,000 people. He gave Peter the ability to walk on the water. 
He said to the disciples, I give you the keys to the kingdom. I am entrusting you men with the keys to eternal life. It's like he said, I am giving you the cure for cancer. You go out and distribute it to the world. He allowed Peter, James, and John to go up on a mountain with him. And at nighttime, he let them see what he will look like in heaven, transformed, blazing like the sun as his face shone. And then he let them be there as Moses and Elijah, both whom had been dead for centuries, famous prophets, appeared. It would be like Jesus telling you, I want you to meet George Washington, taking him back from the dead, letting you meet him. He renamed Peter Rock. I call you Peter the Rock. Upon this rock, he said, and your profession, I will build my entire church. Think of the honor he bestowed on these people. During tax time, he said to Peter, grab that fish, take the money out of it, pay it. Jesus pays for Peter's tax and his own taxes. Now that's a blessing. (laughs) Jesus promised unbelievable answers to prayer to his disciples. He put up with their dullness. He, he, he was patient with their fighting. He was uh, long-suffering with their lack of faith continually and what dim students they were. And he said to them, I no longer call you servants. I am calling you my friends. This was the one of whom they were slowly beginning to grasp was God in the flesh saying, I am calling you my friends because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I am telling you everything that my father is telling me. Jesus had prayed endlessly for these men, and they knew it. And as he approached his own death, he carefully prepared them for the day when that would happen. Which brings us to this Last Supper we've been reading about in John chapter 13. We read that he was about to love them more. Because the verse says, Having loved his own who were in the world... As we've just rehearsed, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Literally, John writes, he now loved them to the end. And this is a play on words, as John often gives a play on words from the lips of Jesus. When it says he loved them to the end, it could mean and does mean he loved them right up to the last hours of his life. But it also means he loved them to the full extent In other words, he was now going to show them the fullness of the cup of what it would cost him to give all these things to them and more. He loved them right up to the finish. He loved them completely and finally. As one translator puts it, now he showed them how perfect his love was. His past love was wonderful, but it was just the precursor to the love he was now going to show them. And what he was going to do now is to wash their feet to illustrate that he would soon wash their souls by his own death on the cross with his own blood. And the great principle, there are many of them in this passage, but one of the great principles that comes out from this passage for us today is this. Throughout his life, the love of Christ for his own was never exhausted. Throughout his whole life, his love for them never wore out. And got tired. By extension, the rest of the New Testament goes on to teach us another principle that builds on it. And it is this. Because Christ dwells in us, 
his power in us to love other people and to love him will never exhaust itself. And I'll say that again. Because Christ himself lives in us for that reason and that reason only. His power in us to love him and to love others will never exhaust itself if we are true believers. We will always have what we need to love people further and more greatly. So let's think about that for a moment. Jesus enables us to love him and to love other people without exhaustion. It doesn't mean we never get tired, never are tempted to quit, but it it means that he will give us power so that, as the scriptures say, we will be renewed in our strength and will rise up with wings like eagles and be able to keep giving and give even more to other people. Elsewhere in the New Testament, book of 1 Thessalonians, here's what Paul says. Now about brotherly love, he says, he's talking about just this, about our loving other Christians throughout our lives, about our loving God, too, as well. Now about brotherly love, he says, we don't need to write to you, folks, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In fact, he says, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia where you live. You see what he's doing? He's talking to the disciples that he's writing to, the Apostle Paul, and he says, you have already lived an extraordinary life of love to other people in the way you have been kind to them, been forgiving to them, helped them in need, gave physically to them, spiritually to them, financially to them, all the ways you sacrificed to them. You have already done this. I do not need to write to you. And then he says, yet, we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. And perhaps your first reaction is the first reaction that I've sometimes gotten read this passage. And that reaction is, you are kidding. Really? A person in this church might think something like this. God, I've already made so many meals. I've already come to so many work days at our church with a shovel or with a hammer or with a pair of willing hands and a paintbrush. God, All the turns I've taken in nursery. Father, all the ushering I've done at the front door. Lord, all the Bible studies I've taught and prepared for. All the people that I've listened to in the foyer who needed an ear. All the money that I've already given to your cause in this church and elsewhere. To people inside and out of church, Lord. All the notes I've already written. All the sick people I've already visited. All the folks who have offended me that I have by grace prayed myself down and forgiven them. All the prayers that I prayed for others. Lord, all the truth that at times it was hard to say I have spoken to others even graciously. And now you say we urge you brothers to do so more and more. And the answer is absolutely. And he says it absolutely with I imagine pretty much a huge grin on his face. Because what he is talking to them about is one of the primary roots to joy. I read in a commentary many years ago that John the Baptist was like a candle whose light could only shine as he himself was slowly extinguished. That is exactly what the Christian life is about. It is a dying to myself so that Christ's light may shine to others. And as you do so more and more, maybe it gets harder as one gets older, but the effectiveness of it grows and over time, the joy of it deepens. That's what he's talking about. 
Where does the power come from that the Apostle Paul, that Jesus, that all the prophets are talking about when they urge us to live lives like this? Well, here's what Paul says. Quote, listen to the second and third word of his sentence. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Most of you probably know that in the Pauline epistles, the Lord almost always is referring to Jesus Christ. So let me reread it. May Jesus Christ make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. That Jesus Christ is not just giving us this word today from afar in heaven. He having suffered and now lying in ease on a couch in heaven, as it were, saying, now you go ahead and you keep doing it. I did it. No, no, it's far greater than that. Jesus himself, as we read about today in our responsive reading, he is in us. He says, without me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit to my father's glory and to your glory. This Jesus who loved like this without exhaustion, Christian, lives in you. He lived in you in the best week you ever lived as a Christian when you were really doing it well. He has lived in you even this week if it's the worst life you have ever lived as a Christian and are really doing it poorly. He lives in you and his power is available to you. His Holy Spirit flows through your blood vessels as it were. So, Jesus says, because I remain in you, you can keep bearing fruit and you can even increase in bearing fruit. Jesus, through you, can live out the full extent of his love for people by showing them that love through you and me. Now, turning from what that might look like for any one of us individually to us corporately as a church body, what does that look like in 2024? Jesus Christ showing the world the full extent of his love by giving us his spirit so that we may live out the full extent of his love. What does that fruit look like, I say, in 2024? Well, it's really, it's really hard to say at all. I, we just have to give samples. I have a list that I just want to briefly read from of at least things we'd, we would like to do in 2024 to show Christ's love. Um, uh, we would like to, uh, you get the idea, do you not? The things... The things that I can say here are impossible to list them all of what God has put into your hearts, our elders' hearts, our deacons' hearts, our small group leaders' hearts, our members' hearts, our parents, of how we would like to serve Christ. But let's just remind ourselves of a few. May I? 2024, what would we love to do and love to see? We would love to see the invisible people in our church become far more visible. Do you know people in our church who are rarely able to come? People whose names are on the rolls, people whose names are in our church directory, but people whose faces you almost never see because they're simply too sick. These are not folks sitting home because they want to drink hot chocolate and sit in their sock feet and watch through our live stream. These are people who would dearly love to be here, but are in physical pain, sometimes discouraged. These are people that we would love to see that more and more of us gain antenna for, write notes to, call on the telephone, ask if you can come visit, bring a little gift to. In such a way, wouldn't it be great that this time next year we would not ever mention this because every invisible person in our church is loved. 
I would say there are invisible people in our church who are in our church every week. There are folks in our church who come in who do not have a family to sit with, don't have a spouse to sit with, and often you will see them sit alone. They may be people of the same age and sex and race and language as you. They may be people of a different age, sex, race, or language. But what God would love us to do into 2024 is when people walk through this door for the first time or for the thousandth time, they brush up against brothers and sisters, both sexes, all races, all ages, who go to them like a magnet, love them, speak with them, learn from them, benefit from fellowship with them. This is what we'd love to do over the next year. We'd love it to start today when we go downstairs for brunch. What would we love to do in 2024? We would love to expose far more people in our geographical area to the worship of God and to public prayer in ways perhaps they have not experienced before. We are fortunate to live in a part of the country in the mid-Atlantic where there are a far denser number of Bible-believing churches than there are in many places of the country. If you take the great Northwest, if you take New England, often people have to drive a good long way just to find any church that teaches the Bible, let alone one that particularly scratches where they itch. But it is true that although many churches are doing it well, there are a great many churches who do the following, and if you visit a lot, you will tend to see that. There are a great many worship services all across the country in evangelical circles where there is very little public prayer in the worship service. Maybe just a sentence or two in between the song. Where there is very little scripture read because we can all read the Bible at home during the week. There are a great many truly Bible-believing churches where the singing and the lyrics are primarily about how God makes me feel. There are a great many churches where the preaching and the teaching in the classes is primarily therapy. How can I get through the problems of this life? Which, of course, the Bible does address. How can I deal with practical situations in my weekdays? Which the Bible does address. But what we would love to see is to people be exposed to worship, to preaching that explains the scriptures, to teaching that focuses not primarily on our felt needs, but on our true needs, on the sin that ruins our lives, on the atonement of Jesus that came at a great cost to buy us back from that sin, on the person of Jesus, who in all his glory and power lives in us, can change us, is changing us. We'd love to see more people exposed in our services to preaching and teaching that describes all the good that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ and that talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in applying that work on the cross to us individually. We would love people to join us in worship and sing praises to God for his not helping us in our little kingdom, but for him sweeping us into his glorious kingdom. We would love to see this room absolutely overflowing. Now, as we've grown incrementally a little bit, as we've come back from COVID, we tend to get tight. And therefore, we have uh, added more chairs. So it's a little less tight. But when you add more chairs, well, it's so that people who come in do not feel like they had to sit 
as a first-time visitor right next to six people on either side of them. And yet, the chairs themselves are a little closer, and so in some ways it becomes a little tighter. We would like the burdensome nature as we add more chairs, as we grow more, that rather than us thinking, well, the aisles are narrowing, and the space between the rows are a little too narrow. Can't you give me a little more space like I'm writing my airline uh, companies about? Instead, that we would take it as a joy to be able to pull our feet in a little bit because we are so glad that we're making room for people who come in. What other things would we like to see in 2024? Just a sampling. Well, let's take some of our internal ministries. Many have been mentioned this morning already. We would love to have a more significant focus of helping families and parents. We would love to more adequately and helpfully teach fathers how to have family devotions with their children. We would love to come alongside of parents and give some biblical guidance and wisdom from older parents about how to discipline one's children. We would love to equip parents far better than we have been equipping them, although we've done some of it, with how to have technology as a servant rather than a master in our home and how to guard your kids in their use of technology to use it for Christ instead of being drawn into the world and the flesh and the devil. We would especially like to upgrade our preaching, discipling, our teaching about this outside of Sunday morning church for parents who did not grow up with Christian parents who gave them a model of how to do this. This whole focus on helping our families learn to follow Christ as families will be one of the themes of the next pastoral hire that we'll have. What would we like to do in 2024 to show the love of Christ? We would love to put a focus on our kids even stronger than we have right now. For instance, Beginning next year, when we have public professions of faith and baptisms, for all people age 16 or younger, we're going to ask them to go through a five-week class where one of their parents attends with them and where we go through with clarity the basic points of the gospel, of the Christian church, of the sacraments, so that when they make that profession of faith, they really well know what it is they're standing up and professing. Over the next year, regarding children, we'd like to do something especially to help our boys. As as you know, the distinction between girls and boys has been eroded terribly in our culture, and it has affected both groups. But for now, I'm speaking about boys, to teach boys to be masculine, to be men, to rise to the challenge, to help other people, to use their God-given talents to serve people. As you know, the Boy Scouts of America no longer exist as Boy Scouts. They've long ago lost their moral compass. Over the next year is our great intent through the leadership of Peter Mounts to start a Christian version of Boy Scouts known as Trail Life and teach our young men the skills of manhood. We'd like to do it by the end of this coming year if we can. What we would like to do in 2024 to show the full extent of Christ's love to other people We would like to continue what we're doing and even further expand it, our counseling ministry. I say we like to continue it because the amount of counseling that goes on from this church, both with the pastors and with um, Kathy Eberly, is rather amazing, particularly down in Kathy's office. The widest array of needs and problems and sadnesses conceivable are being discussed routinely in the walls of this church. This includes any number of children coming to be counseled. 
it is one of our best outreaches. About 75% of the people who are counseled in this church are people from outside our church. And a number of them are people that really don't understand the gospel yet, or are people who are extremely young and wobbly in their faith and don't grasp how the Bible relates to life. We would also, rather than just continuing that, which we certainly intend to do, we would like to begin an initiative this year that will begin with Kathy Eberly and Matt Carter to help us as a congregation learn better how to counsel each other in everyday life experiences. To be equipped when you're in that awkward conversation, when somebody's problem comes up and you just don't know what to say, the kinds of things to say, how to think about those situations. It's a skill that takes a lifetime to learn, but we're all on a path. And, and Paul said in the book of Romans, I know that you are competent. He's writing to the whole church, competent to instruct and counsel one another. We'd like to build on that and help each other to do that and learn. And in particular, we would like to form at least one team, if we could, of gifted members of our church who would take specialized training from an organization, Christian organization that does this, to learn how to affect reconciliation between peoples, families, parties who are at odds with one another. The relationship has been broken and they don't know how to get it together. Our pastors have done this in the past, but sometimes when a situation like that comes and pastors don't have enough time to do it, we want really skilled people to learn to do it, and we're determined to teach them. How do we want to show Christ's love to the fullest extent through ourselves in 2024? We would like to expand our local outreach. Already you've heard about the straight-out evangelism that our church gets behind. Young Life in several high school campuses around here. The Navigators Group, the Disciple Makers Group, which minister on the college campuses of Kutztown and Lafayette and Drexel and Temple and Villanova. These are things that our church is already behind and our people are involved in. We'd like to continue that, of course. We'd like to continue what we do with the elderly at Zerby Sisters and at Hopewell Manor right here in Elverson. It is really bearing fruit at Hopewell Manor in particular, as you have prayed and a number of our people are getting involved. We'd like to continue reaching out to the poor, our deacons, are constantly thinking about how to do it and involving themselves, as you heard, in sometimes complicated situations. We are so grateful for those of you who are going up to Hope Rescue Mission and either speaking or singing or mingling with the men afterwards. We love hosting anchored ministries as they outreach to the poor using our building. But beyond this, now we do a number of these things, not all of them. Some are in the general fund, as I say, the, the uh, young life and navigators and disciple makers. But beyond that, a lot of what we do with the poor is through when we have a special offering. We do want to continue special offerings. The deacons always have a Christmas offering. But we would like to increase in our general fund. That is, in the money you put in the box or give through a card or give electronically that goes to the general church ministries, we would like to include the amount that we give in reaching the gospel with practical help to the poor. We are currently exploring this. We're exploring this in several ways. One, we're thinking about the rescuing the babies whose lives are in danger from abortions. We would love to expand our help to care for the mothers to bring their babies to term and simultaneously with organizations that care for the fathers of those babies to teach them how to be dads. We would love to get behind crisis pregnancy centers more. We would like to get behind more uh, threatened and abused women in shelters 
all the while giving them the gospel. These are just a couple little things. Finally, what we'd love to do in 2024 is to expand our international outreach of the gospel. I think I've mentioned from this pulpit one time before, a person once spoke about his father. It wasn't somebody from our church and said, my father loved people as a Christian, but he didn't particularly love peoples, meaning other races, other countries, other nationalities and reaching the gospel there. I am so privileged to stand beside Rick Renniger, stand beside Wendell Stoltz, stand beside Rich Goswiller and others who go on these trips and are constantly training pastors overseas, bringing Bibles to folks in Africa, training people in different parts of Africa and extremely difficult parts of Asia. But now we would like to expand that. Let me just mention two small ways we would like to do it. Really one with the A and a B. We would love to expand our help to the persecuted church around the world. We partner with a ministry called Serve India because Serve India is able, through people of Indian descent living in India, to train and send out pastors in a way far more effective than we ever could. But you may have heard, if you were here on a Sunday night not terribly long ago, that one of the pastors whom we support was murdered. He was murdered by Hindu people in his area. We don't mean that all Hindu people were murderers by any means, but these particular people were radicals. And now his wife is at home pregnant with child number nine. We would love to get behind her financially, help her get out of that area if she needs to, help her get settled, help her find a way how she's going to make it through the rest of life with her kids. We're researching how to help that now, and I'm sure a presentation is going to be made by one of the men on the missions committee to that committee about the possibility of that. I'm also planning to make a presentation soon to various leaders about an individual that I'm in touch with. I'm not going to say if this is a man or a woman, nor am I going to say where. But this person lives in one of the world's most persecuting countries. I have seen a presentation of what this person and the person that the people that this person is rubbing shoulders with and working with, not just to spread the gospel, but to help train skilled people in how to spread the gospel and teach. The effectiveness of what I saw in this presentation from this person that I've known from a number of years goes beyond anything I have ever seen or heard about in the persecuted church in the sense of the effectiveness of what they are doing and the absolute risk that they and their friends are taking to do it. We would love to get behind these people financially and in prayer and otherwise on a far more significant basis. And of course, many other things. So what do these ministries need? Well, first, a lot of these ministries, most of them, they, they need a building. We are so grateful for this building. We are thanking God for this classy new sign, not because now we can show off to the neighbors that we have a first-class sign, but that when people drive in here, it's a tangible way of showing that the kingdom of God is beautiful. And is it not beautiful? We are glad for the building and its use for coat drives and having public elections downstairs, that we have events for the disabled community and men's events and women's events. If you are in this building during the week, you know this building bustles. The walls are, are coming out all through the week with all kinds of activities. 
This place is bursting at the seams with need for nursery space and dividing Sunday school classes into two, perhaps having a playground that has security cameras on it 24-7. But we would like to have an even more effective campus. We would love that downstairs, no matter where in the room you're sitting, no matter how soft the voice of the presenting person, everybody in that room can hear what's being said. We would love to have an overhang in that entrance over there, which now we're glad that there's an ability to drive up without any steps for people who have difficulty walking. We'd love to have an overhang so it's not only without steps, but so it's actually dry and you're not rained on upon as you do it. It takes a building to do our ministries. Secondly, all these ministries take staff. This year, we've needed to lower our staff presence by one full-time employee when Andy Comrie needed to step down and go on to other things. Other staffers had filled in, but it has been no easy manner. And I can say, in the years I've worked here, the joyousness of the work, the effectiveness of the work is as high as ever, I've ever seen it, but the strain on the office staff is as great as I've ever seen it. This spring, our dearly loved pastor of pastoral care, Al Kimball, will retire and go to part-time this summer and totally in September. He cannot be replaced immediately when he steps down, and our staff will also need to increase what they do in order to fill some of the roles that he has filled. In other words, we have needed to cut back on staff at the same time as we're in a growth mood and trying to grow and actually growing. Uh, a, a, a consultant that we got to come in several years ago with our elders said that we will absolutely need more pastors as we grow to do what we're doing effectively because we're doing a lot, not just having Sunday services. You might say, well, can't we just use our volunteers more? Uh, folks, we use an incredible number of volunteers in this church, but volunteers need to be recruited and trained and organized and supported, and we need staff to do that. So, what does all this have to do with uh, the increase of our love and our love to the end? Well, the answer is this. Paul says, you do love all the brothers. We urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying to us now regarding the service with our hands and our service with our wallet is, don't give up now, because all these ministries take finances. This building was built with the understanding that we would eventually go to two services in order to accommodate our ministries, but also the financial needs that we have for the building. And yet all of us felt the pain of having two services, and you felt like you only knew half the congregation. And on the day when we merged into a single service under this one roof at the same time, you could feel the atmosphere and the morale just rising. The question financially is, can we support all we're trying to do with only a single service and the people that can fit in here? And what will answer that question is how well we give. Here's how our giving trend tends to work. Our usual giving trends are like most churches and organizations. They're lighter throughout the first half of the year, and they're more generous toward the second half of the year, particularly uh, toward the very end of the year. This year is no exception. This year, we need $280,000 during December, 280000 to support the ministries that we have already started and planned. Any giving above two eighty dollars this December will go to some of these ministries we've been talking about here 
that we would love to see happen that are not currently happening. And all these ministries, of course, take prayer. And that's why on your chair is a 2024 ministry prayer guide that we'd ask you, perhaps your family, to pray through. It's available on your seat. You can get them at the back. You can get them online. You can get them through your QR code or in your bulletin as well. As you give, as you pray, Christ will show through you to many people, quote, the full extent of his love. Our elder chairman, Mike Colbert, now is going to pray for us as we close. I'm going to pray. I'm also going to give thanks for the food. When I'm done praying, I'll give you some instructions on the meal downstairs. And then Steve's going to come back up and give us a benediction. Pray with me, please. <clears throat> From John 13:15, the words of Jesus. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Father, as I stand here today on behalf of everyone in this room who calls Brick Lane Community Church their home, I ask you for your continued provision upon every aspect of ministry that we do here, empowered by you and ultimately for you to bring you glory. Lord, we know that you don't need us, but you choose to use us, and we are eternally grateful. We are grateful that you, the holy God, chose to send your son and bridge that gap between sinful mankind and your perfect self. So that with that in mind, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, the powerful spirit of Jesus Christ, and increase our faith so we may live lives in such a way that would bring you more honor, more glory than we could ever imagine. As we look ahead, we pray for our initiatives, for the invisible people of our church to become more visible, to expose our neighbors and folks around this area to church, to church in a way that lifts up prayer and scripture and singing and teaching, all that points to you, Jesus, and your kingdom, for a focus on helping families, specifically parents, specifically fathers and boys. Father, for our counseling ministry to grow, to continue to expand, and that we would be able to even counsel each other. For local outreach, mercy ministries, and international missions. Lord, this is a big ask. You are a big God. Lord, we're going to go downstairs now as a church family, and we're going to eat a delicious brunch meal together. So we thank you for your provision in that. And we pray, God, that our conversations and our time spent together would make you happy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, would you please rise and receive your benediction from Pastor Steve. Christians, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.